Thank you, Sean, for reading our scripture tonight, and thank you for being here. We are grateful for the opportunity to be together. We've got a good number assembled tonight, and for that, we're very, very thankful. We are thankful for our visitors tonight, as we were this morning. We had a number of visitors with us, and we want you to know how much we appreciate you coming our way. And if you're looking for a church home, please consider the work here. We would love to have you as a part of our church family. And by the way, Lynn has made some... Uh, Okay, Patty, Lynn and Patty. Anyway, they have, uh, they've made some Vister packets, and they really look good. They've done a great job. And so uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to look at one, I would encourage you to tag one of them tonight. You can look at it. They, they really look good, and so we're grateful for their work, their time in putting that together. Tonight, we're going to continue our study in key passages, key chapters, and in our study tonight, we look at chapter 12 in the book of Exodus. As you well know, this has to do with the Passover. You remember God had said to Abraham many, many years earlier that his descendants would sojourn in a foreign land. After a period of 400 years, they would come out. In the book of Exodus, we find the children of Israel, they're now in Egypt. They are enslaved in Egypt. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1, there arose a new king in Egypt that knew not the Lord. The king of the Pharaoh in Egypt did not know the God of Joseph. Joseph, as you well know, rose to prominence in the court of Pharaoh. And so the children of Israel, they cried out to God for deliverance. God heard their cry. He saw their tears. And so he called on a man by the name of Moses. Moses would become the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. And he and his brother Aaron would have the opportunity to be leaders among the children of Israel. And so in chapter 11, you remember God struck the land of Egypt with nine very specific plagues. And God would say in chapter 12, verse 12, as was read just a minute ago, God was going to execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And so in chapter 11, God said to Moses, note if you would in verse 1, I will bring yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here. And then, of course, specific instructions given to the people. Drop down if you would and note what is said down in verse 4. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the beast. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against the children of Israel, or rather but against none of the children of Israel, Shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you, after that I will, I will, go, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened 
Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Time and again, Pharaoh had seen the mighty hand of Almighty God. Now the text here says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And really, I think the idea is God, through His permissive will, allowed the natural chain of events to occur in the life of Pharaoh. He had the opportunity to see the power of God. He refused time and again to see the power of Almighty God. And so, in effect, he hardened his own heart. But now note chapter 12. In chapter 12, we now have the specific instructions given regarding the Passover and the deliverance of the children of Israel. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. And here's what God said, This month shall be your beginning of months, the month of Abib. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So you have the prescribed day that the Passover was to have been killed. In verse 4, If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now, note if you would, God sets forth regulations concerning the lamb that is to be offered, the provisions of the lamb. First of all, He said it is to be a spotless lamb. Verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. He said, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, in verse 6 he said, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So it was to be a spotless lamb, and then we find it was to be a sacrificial lamb. And then look at verse 7. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, Sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Note if you would, it was to be a saving lamb. Because in verse 12, God said, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over it, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so you have the placement of the blood at the designated place, and thus when God saw the blood, He said, I'll pass over you thereby sparing the firstborn. So, in chapter 12, we have what is typically referred to as a type. In the Old Testament, the Scriptures 
sometimes foreshadow certain events that we read about in the New Testament. They're called types and shadows. And so you have the type in terms of the Passover, and then you have the antitype, which would correspond to its Old Testament counterpart. And so in this context, you have the Passover, the giving of the Passover, the purpose of the Passover, the celebration of that. But when we come to the New Testament, we find the Apostle Paul saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, at verse 7, you remember he said, For Christ, who is our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And so under the Old Covenant, under that Old Testament arrangement, the children of Israel celebrated the Passover. It was a significant day in the history of the Israelite nation. Now you recall over in chapter 13, God would later say about, about the firstborn, those who were spared. Listen to him in chapter 13, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and animal, God said, it is mine. So here's the question. How then does all of this relate to the New Testament. I said just a minute ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible talks about Jesus being our Passover. And you remember that prior to the betrayal of Christ and His crucifixion, He celebrated the Passover with the apostles, and He instituted what we typically call the Lord's Supper, that memorial feast, reminding us of the death of Jesus on Calvary the body that was given in our stead, and the blood shed for us. So as we look to the New Testament, and as we think about the antitype, that being Jesus, I want to talk about Christ, our Passover Lamb. In John chapter 1, verse 29, you'll recall John the Baptist, upon seeing Jesus on one occasion, said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Passover lamb sacrificed on our behalf, wasn't he? Now again, we looked in Exodus chapter 12 and there were some earmarks regarding that lamb that was to be slain and the blood shed and applied to the designated places in the homes so that God would pass over sparing the firstborn. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, again, First, that lamb was to be without blemish. It was to be a spotless lamb. That was a type of the Christ who would come. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And then a second feature of this lamb the lamb in type was to be a sacrificial lamb. It was to be killed or slain. Well, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, He bore our sins in His body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Jesus was that sacrificial lamb. As John the Baptist said in the long ago, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Thirdly, 
That lamb was to be a saving lamb, the import of the blood that was shed. And the placement of that blood on the doorpost and lintel of the houses. Because God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So it was to be a saving lamb. Jesus was the saving lamb, sacrificed for us so that we might enjoy redemption. Think for a minute or two about the institution of the Passover and the placement of that blood. When Jesus shed His blood in Calvary, in death. The Bible says He purchased the church, didn't He? The blood of Christ has been applied to the house of God. Paul talks about the house of God, the church of the living God in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. If you go back and you look at Exodus chapter 12 and you think about that blood being placed on the doorpost and on the lentils, did it matter in that day and time what house you were residing in when the destroying angel came through the land, did it matter? Sure did. Didn't you have to be in the right house with the blood on the designated place? Sure you did. So what about those of us today? Our redemption. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I said a minute ago, Jesus shed His blood in death. That blood applied to His house or to the church of the living God. Salvation afforded the children of Israel. God, in His grace and kindness, spared the firstborn. Today, when we obey the gospel of Christ, the beauty of becoming a child of God is we are added to that divine body where the blood has been applied. That's the church. So I want you to think for a minute or two about, about the church. And the correlation here. There was a distinction made in the land of Egypt. In order for the children of Israel, in order for those people to have been saved, in order, in order for the firstborn to have been spared, they had to be in the right house and the blood had to be applied. In order for us to be saved today, we've got to be in the right house, don't we? We've got to be in the house of God, the church of the living God, where the blood was shed Acts 20, verse 28, Christ purchased the church with His own blood. So if we're not in the right designated place, the house of God, where the blood's been applied, we won't be saved. How then does that take place? Well, first of all, we've got to put our faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Did it require faith on the part of the children of Israel to obey the command given by God to Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel? Didn't it require faith on their part to take that sacrificial lamb, to slay it, and then to take the blood and place it in the designated, designated place? Sure it did. By the same token, when we read, the scripture, read in the Scriptures about Christ, the Lamb of God, we've got to put faith in Him, and then we've got to be motivated to action, don't we? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? you keep my commandments. So to put our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus would say, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. So we believe in Christ. And then the Bible says we are to be baptized into Christ 
for a specific purpose. Number one, we're baptized into Christ so that we might contact the blood of Christ. The blood was shed in death. That's what John said, John 19, 34 and 35. If we're going to appropriate that blood, then we have to go where it was shed. It was shed in death. So Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. So when we're baptized into Christ, we contact the saving blood of Christ, don't we? The blood, the blood-bought body is the church. So we're baptized into Christ. We contact the blood of Christ, and the blood is what washes away our sins. Ephesians 1, 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. John said unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins, Peter said we've been redeemed not with corruptible things, but rather with the precious blood of Christ. We can't be saved without the blood of Christ. So when we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ. And then we're added to the body of Christ. Well, why do we need to be in the body? Because that's where the saved are. That's where the redeemed reside. Matter of fact, the Bible says that's where reconciliation takes place. In Ephesians 2.16, Paul said, Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. So you've got to be in the right body in order to contact the blood which washes away your sins. Did God make a difference between the children of Israel and the Egyptians? The text said it did in chapter 11. Go back and read it very quickly. Verse 7, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. I said a minute ago, it made a difference what house a person was in when the Passover took place. If the firstborn was to be spared, saved, had to be in the house where the blood was applied. If individuals today want to be saved, they've got to be in the right house. That is, you've got to be in the house that you read about in Scripture. You've got to be in the church, the church of the living God. I know that we live in a day and time when there are a lot of folks that misunderstand. They misunderstand completely the concept of New Testament Christianity. And there are a lot of folks in the world today, and there are people in the church that have the idea that the church is just another denomination. That's not, that's not the case. No, the Bible says Jesus built the church. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. He built the church based upon that bedrock statement that Peter made when asked about the identity of Christ. Do you remember? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto you that upon this rock, that word rock there, is, well, when Jesus said, I also say unto you that you're Peter. The name Peter means a stone, a small pebble. And there's a correlation there, a play on words if you please. Jesus said, you're Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. 
The name Peter is masculine. The rock that he promised to build the church on, feminine in nature. And so what Jesus is saying is, based upon your confession that I'm Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church. Now Jesus only promised to build how many churches? One church. You know, in our politically correct society, in this day and time, it's hard for people to understand, it's hard for people to accept the fact that there are absolute truths. The absolute truth of the matter is Jesus purchased one church, one body. His blood was shed for one church, not a multiplicity of churches, but rather one church. That church belongs to Him. The blood has been applied to that church. And unless a person obeys the gospel, he or she is not in that church. And if you're not in the church that you read about in the Bible, then you don't have the benefits and blessings set forth in Scripture. One of which is the blood of Christ. So we live in this day and time when people misunderstand the nature of the church. The one church. Paul said in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So when you're baptized into Christ, the Bible says, God then puts you in the church. Now, there are a lot of folks in the world today that say, you know what? You don't have to be a part of this church stuff. You can be a Christian, you can have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't have to be affiliated with any type of church. Is that what the Bible teaches? Does it matter whether or not you're affiliated with the church? Does it matter what church you belong to? Either it does or it doesn't. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, that Jesus is the Savior of the body. That says to me that if I want to be among the saved, then I've got to be in the body. Well, how then do I get into the body? Well, Paul said, by one spirit were y'all baptized into one body. When I obey the gospel, I don't have to worry about joining the church. I don't have to be voted into the church. No, the Bible says God adds me to the church. He'll add anyone to the church who complies with the conditions set forth in Scripture for salvation. So what are you saying? The church is the blood-bought body of Christ. Jesus, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The house of the saved today is the church. That means if you're not in the church, if you're not in the right house, you're not among the saved. And so what the Bible teaches in the New Testament is that there is one body and there's one head. That's Jesus. He put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So we believe in Christ Jesus. We believe He is the divine Son of God. We repent of our sins. We turn away from a life of sin. Confess His name as the eunuch did in Acts 8. We're baptized into Christ and we contact the blood of Christ. You can't be saved without the blood of Christ. And the only way to appropriate that blood is to be baptized into Christ. On Pentecost Day, when the Apostle Peter and the other apostles preached the gospel, 
in its fullness for the very first time. They were setting forth terms of admission into the kingdom that Jesus and John had been preaching about. And the legislation that they set forth regarding entrance into the kingdom hasn't changed. They had been given the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 16, 19, Matthew 18, 18. And so when they asked, what shall we do? Peter said, here's exactly what you need to do. You repent, then you're baptized, you enjoy the forgiveness or remission of your sins. And then verse 47 says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You remember in Acts 5 verse 14, Luke said, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. How then were the believers added to the Lord? They did what they did on Pentecost Day. They heard the gospel, they believed it, they repented of sin, they were baptized into Christ, they contacted the blood of Christ, they were then added to the body of Christ. They were added to the saved. So you and I today, when we comply with what's set forth in the New Testament, we become members not of a denomination, but rather we become members of the body of Christ, the church of Christ. That is, the church that belongs to Christ. I mean, think about it. Jesus built the church, He bought the church, and the Bible says it belongs to Him. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, I read a moment ago, Exodus chapter 13. In Exodus chapter 13, listen again to what God said to Moses. Sanctify to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and animal, God said, it's mine. God said to the children of Israel, the firstborn belongs to me. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, we have the corresponding scripture to Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Well, what then is the corresponding scripture? To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Who then are the firstborn? They belong to God. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven. What God is saying is when you obey the gospel, when you become a child of God, you enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ. Furthermore, you belong to God. You are His own special possession. You remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? When Peter said you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Listen to him. A people for God's own possession. The beauty and the blessings of being a part of the church is we belong to God. We have been set apart just as the firstborn had been set apart. The word sanctification simply means to be set apart. Well, when did that occur? When we obeyed the gospel. God delivered us out of the power of darkness, and Paul said He translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So you mean to tell me I've got to, I've got to be a part of the body of Christ where the blood resides in order to be saved. That's what the Bible says. You're saying then that there's just one house, just one body that saves what the Bible teaches. So we belong to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you. He said, Which you have from God. He said, You're not your own. 
you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So, let me ask this question. Since we belong to God, since we are His own special people, we've been set apart, we're the firstborn. Don't you think that people ought to see a difference in how we live? I mean, shouldn't, he, shouldn't people be able to see Christ living in us? He's our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. He paid the price for our sins. He was the spotless lamb. He was the sacrificial lamb. He is the saving lamb. The blood was applied to the house. And if we're in the house of God, we belong to Him. And we ought to live in such a way so that we glorify Him in everything that we do. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus, or rather the Bible says, that God is glorified in the church. Unto Him be glory in the church through Jesus Christ or by Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There ought to be a difference in us as God's people. If there's not a difference in how you live versus the world, something is out of kilter. Something's not right. Why? Because you belong to God. That means we carry ourselves differently. We're not to be arrogant and caustic and ugly and hateful, but rather we're to be kind and loving and forgiving. We're to live in such a way so that Christ is reflected in everything we say, and everything we do. If you, want to know, if you want to see that played out, look at the life of Paul. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said, speaking of Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, to the best of his ability, lived to bring honor and glory to God. That's how we ought to be today. You know, the beauty of Exodus chapters 11 and 12 and 13 the beauty of those scriptures reflected in the fact they find their counterpart in the New Testament. Jesus as our Passover lamb. The blood's been slain, or rather the blood's been shed, Christ has been slain, and we can enjoy the provisions of that lamb slain 2,000 years ago. Could I ask you a question tonight in closing? Are you a part of the house of God where the blood's been applied? Think about that for a minute. Are you a part of the house where the blood's been applied? Only one house, only one head. Only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God wants people to be saved. The earthly ministry of Jesus. I can just hear Jesus saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. Rest from the weariness and the burden of sin. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could we encourage you, take advantage of the blessings, the blessings of Calvary 2,000 years ago.
You have the opportunity tonight to enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb. You can be added to the church tonight. Leave here knowing that every spiritual blessing spoken of in Scripture is yours. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not faithful to His cause. Your life's not what it ought to be. Could we encourage you to come home? You know, the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you come home, I can promise you this, God will forgive. It's what the Bible says, 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?